Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Paddock Pass podcast. I am your host, Jensen Beeler, filling in for the absent David Emmett. Joining me today is the illustrious Neil Morrison. Neil, thanks for <laughs> thanks for hopping on the mics with me today. Not a problem, JP. My pleasure. Uh, David's got some family stuff to attend to. Steve is on vacation, and you, what, couldn't find an excuse to, to get out of this one? What, what yeah, happened? Yeah, you, you kind of cornered me with, uh, with the proposal of doing it uh, this weekend. I must say, it's not long before 9 a.m. in the morning really isn't uh, the perfect time, so... We'll have some coffee to uh, to kind of remedy this uh, this dizziness that I'm currently experiencing. But yeah, yeah so yeah, I, I, it seems that I I got the the short straw. Yeah, I made you an offer you couldn't <laughs> refuse. So I appreciate you uh, you getting on and talking some motorbikes with me. Um, it's probably worth pointing out to our listeners that may not know that you live in Barcelona and you're not that far away from where the terrorist attacks were, and um, you're kind of in the thick of it in terms of the kind of political upheaval that's going on. So. We're glad yeah, that you could just make it in general. I'm glad that uh, <laughs> Spain is still one country and Catalonia is still in one piece and, and you're doing fine. And, you know, it's been a kind of a crazy couple of weeks for you, sir. Yeah, it's definitely been quite tumultuous. Um, yeah, obviously there was the, the sort of the, the referendum in inverted commas that was held uh, just over a week ago. And since then, there's been a fair share of, uh, of protests and there was a strike, a general strike in Catalonia. Um, protest from kind of different sides of the divide and you know it's just one of those political situations that you know, it's difficult to imagine how it's going to end um, you know in a in a kind of nice happy way where, where both sides are, are content with, with what's going on so yeah it's, it's a real shame it's a real shame um, but yeah thankfully we have some motorbikes to take the attention away from from such things. Indeed yeah we have a lot to, to catch up on uh, we're a bit Late with our Aragon GP coverage, mostly because of, of the things that have been happening uh, with our, our crew and, and just in the world as a whole. So I wanted to talk to you about that first and then kind of segue into the flyaway rounds that we're about to go into. We're only a couple days away from the start of the, the Japanese GP at Motegi, and that flows right into Phillip Island and Sepang, and then we finish up in Valencia. And man, that's the whole season. Yeah, where has the time gone? Uh, yeah, <laughs> where has it? I mean, we've only aged like fourfold over the course of this season but that's fine it's been a good season so far i should say so uh aragon provided i think maybe not the most spectacular racing that we've seen this year but i think in terms of what it means for the championship this could be looked back upon in a few months time as kind of a pivotal point so um, why don't you kind of give me your your initial thoughts on on the takeaways from the gp and then we'll dive into them in, in more detail yeah, I mean, it was a, it was definitely an interesting race, a really interesting race weekend. Um, one of those strange weekends that was uh, offset by bad weather on Friday, which basically deprived MotoGP guys of uh, of setup time. Uh, Michelin had brought three rear tires that were, you know, all pretty good options for the race. Um, so therefore, everyone had Saturday two sessions on Saturday before qualifying started to basically not only work on setup but to uh, to assess three different rear tire options. Um, and you know they all were very similar. You know it was quite it wasn't very clear cut for a lot of guys. You know which was the which was the obvious option. Um, so it meant that uh, you know there, were, there wasn't really anyone that went into the race on Sunday with a, a perfect setup, feeling completely um, you know completely at home. And um, it made for, you know, quite a tight race. You know, the top eight riders were covered by eight seconds, which is really staggering amount at the end of a 23-lap race around a fairly uh, long circuit like Aragon. Um, it was it was interesting. It was it was quite intriguing. We saw, you know, 
great performances from a lot of different guys. Um, Jorge Lorenzo led a lot of the race. You know, it, it really looks like he is just a tiny little bit away from that first win with the Ducati. Um, we saw Valentino Rossi coming back incredibly from, you know, his double right leg fracture. Uh, he raced 24 days after, you know, sustaining that injury and he finished a, a heroic fifth, you know, an absolutely stunning result. And, you know, when we look at the championship, we saw Marquez, you know, take a, a really decisive win. You know, he's just been really the, the pick of the field for the last the last two months, you know, um, he has been almost a cut above, I would say, anyone um, since the since the, the the championship resumed from the summer break, and he took a really decisive step to uh, to pull clear of uh, Andrea Dovizioso in the world championship. And um, you know, I think it's going to take something really, really, really special um, to stop him winning from from here. Yeah, sixteen point gap. We've got four races left. I mean, the math the math is tough on that. Why don't we talk about Vinales first, since since I'm losing a lot of money on him this year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if the IRS is listening, I'm totally not betting or anything. But <laughs> it's been it's been interesting to see for, coming from last season, where he was you know quite the surprise on the Suzuki. Um, you know, he was winning races, looking on form on a bike that was still you know kind of coming together, a program that was still coming together. And signs with Yamaha, you know, the big shock move, Lorenzo leaves, and, you know, that's all the talk in the, in the final parts of, of last season. And we're expecting, you know, this young, up-and-coming, talented rider on what's arguably the best MotoGP bike on the grid. And things start getting off to a good start in Qatar in the early races, and the boy's killing me. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's interesting you said about the the Yamaha being the best bike on the grid. I think when you looked at uh, at the preseason, um, he was fastest of four of the official tests. He was fastest in every day at the four official tests. Well, you know, he won the first two races as you made you you mentioned there. You know, it did appear early on that the Yamaha really had um, kind of ironed out all the little niggling woes that they that you know that kind of undid Rossi and Lorenzo last year. Um, but I think you know from Jerez onwards, it's kind of become clear that it. It, you know, it isn't a complete, as complete a bike as we thought it was at first. You know, it's it's not quite as adept at handling all kinds of conditions. Whenever a track doesn't have optimum grip, you know, it really isn't as as kind of strong as Honda uh, or even Ducati. It's they seem to have been a little bit confused with kind of uh, development direction as well. You know, Vinales and Rossi have quite different styles. Vinales is very aggressive. Uh, he likes to break quite deep. Um, he's quite heavy with the throttle, but you know that was sure as hell working in the early part of the season. So Yamaha very much just followed what uh, he was saying. Um, Rossi seemed to have different ideas. You know, when they got to Catalonia, they both had had a disastrous race there. Rossi really started pushing for a kind of different development direction. Um, you know, there was a whole thing about Yamaha bringing a new chassis to come and sort of placate Rossi. Vinales didn't like that. You know, that kind of seemed to set him back a couple of races. Um, and it's just one of those situations, kind of like last year, where, you know, Honda and Ducati have kind of made strides through the year, little steps here and there. Honda, indeed, a, a big step over the summer break. And, and Yamaha seemed to have just stayed still. And Aragon was another race where, at the end of it, uh, both Vinales and Rossi were complaining about rear traction or lack thereof. And this has been something that they complained about in Austria. Um, I think it was something similar in Brno. Um, you know, they had a test before Silverstone, which seemed to cure some of those issues. But, you know, here we are again at Aragon, where they just uh, didn't really have an answer for, for Marquez Pedroza. 
and and Lorenzo ahead of them. Um, and yeah, this this was a really damaging race, I think, for Vitalis' championship because he loves Aragon. He has a great record there. And, um, you know, he, after the Mizano race, I thought he did really well in Mizano, but he still lost a shed load of points to Marquez. I still I think I think he's lost uh, 12 points. So he needed to really, you know, match him or, you know, limit as much damage as possible. And, uh, you know, I think he's now 28 points behind. It's going to be a, a really big ask for him to try and win the world championship. Um, so, yeah, so, and, uh, you know, I think... I think what you were saying, JB, about him him killing you, losing you a lot of money. You know, I don't think he's had a, a bad season by any stretch of the imagination. I still think there's been some performances he's put in where you think like he's close, he's he's nearly there, he's nearly that championship winning rider, but it's just not all quite come together for him just yet. But he's still 22. You know, still his first year with Yamaha, he's had a lot to learn. He has Valentino Rossi as a teammate, and that, as uh, Jorge Lorenzo would ably attest, is no easy feat at all. And, um, you know, I think uh, he might not win it this year, but uh, you wouldn't put your money against him winning it, um, you know, 2018 or 19. Yeah, I think you said a lot of things there that, that I wanted to touch on. The The biggest one, I think, is echoing that point of it's it's a difficult task to be Valentino Rossi's um I was going to say roommate, but teammate. I imagine roommate uh, would be equally as tough. It'd be, it'd be even more difficult, right? Uh, <laughs> who gets the top bunk? I'm sure it would be the first issue. <laughs> but yeah. but joking aside, you know, that that is a thing that I think kind of gets forgotten sometimes. And I was wondering if you've had any conversations with members of the team in terms of what the internal dynamic is at the Movie Star Yamaha team and what that has trickled into in terms of how it's let's say delayed their ability to develop that bike on pace with the other um manufacturers and that that seems to me to be the issue of why kind of they're they're lagging behind it's it's not so much what the other guys are doing it's just that they're not developing at the same pace that the the rest of you know ducati and honda and suzuki and all of them are doing yeah well i think you know there's there's a couple of things really i think what you said you know has has a certain amount of merit, um, you know, Vignal is just, he has to accept that this is Valentino Rossi's team. And as long as he's racing, it always will be Valentino Rossi's team. You know, the whole the whole structure is based around him, you know, right the way down to like the hospitality staff, you know, because Rossi's been there, um, you know, since 2004. I know he left and had two years in Chicati, but, you know, basically he is part of the furniture. Vignal is some new guy. Um you know, there's a whole lot to kind of take in there in terms of dynamics and how things work. And, um, you know, I'm sure for Maverick, it wasn't easy when he was leading the championship to hear Rossi sniping at him, saying that he didn't really truly understand the character of Yamaha's bike, how it should be, how it should be ridden. So I think, I think there's that. And that obviously, I think, uh, you know, derailed Maverick and, and, and made him a little bit angry. There were some rumors at Bruneau, nothing was confirmed, but there were rumors that, um, you know, uh, there was another new chassis that weekend and uh, it, it, Rossi was the person that got it, first of all, and Maverick only found out about this on, you know, Saturday morning. He noticed that Rossi's bike looked slightly different to his. Um, and he asked why he didn't have that and he was told in no uncertain terms that Rossi was going to try it on Saturday and he would maybe have it available on Sunday, you know, and you can imagine there's a guy who's at the front of the world title race, you know, why are they giving it to him and not me? Um, so, I mean, that's quite a lot of, for, for a young driven man like Maverick, uh, you know, that would be a lot to kind of take in. And I think there's also just the issue that Yamaha still hasn't quite figured out the true, the true character of Mitchell and Stars. 
you know, we've seen in the last year and a half that Honda's really kind of adapted the character of his bike um, from Bridgestone to Michelin. Um, you know, it used to be just a really like a bike that was solely designed to brake as late as possible to sort of take advantage of the of Bridgestone's front tire. Now it's definitely a more balanced machine. Ducati as well, we've seen that it's, um, you know, it's a bike that's quite easy on the tires. And Lorenzo and Davizio's are able to run Michelin's soft option rear whenever they want. And the kind of Michelin rear, the extra grip that the Michelin rear offers up compared to the, the Bridgestone has in part helped them to, you know, kind of um, limit the damage called, caused by the the turning issues of that bike, you know, that, that have kind of been age old and, and have lasted, you know, for years and years and years. So I still think Yamaha hasn't quite figured out the Michelin tires and how they can kind of differ from race to race. Um, and, you know, I think that shows in kind of the, the erratic nature of their results this year. Let's switch uh, to the other side of the of the garage and talk about Valentino a little bit, um, and and just lose our minds a little bit in the fact that he's racing with basically a broken leg and some hardware. Uh, that was a fin- I, from my perspective, it was a fantastic performance and to get the result that he did. Um, you know, it's no small testament to to his mental fortitude and his physical fitness and and just his desire. Yeah, didn't make motivation. a lick of sense to me. <laughs> but yeah. you know got to give the guy credit right absolutely yeah you weren't the only one that was uh kind of wandering in disbelief and uh, when the news was announced that he was going to try and race at aragon um yeah but i mean it's 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 just seriously impressive it's it's just the desire that it still r- remains intact that he still has that motivation to to try and be back as soon as possible um it's it's something to behold it's it's quite staggering it's i, I don't know really of any other examples in the world of sport of the guy at 38 years old that is still willing to put himself through all of the stuff that he had to go through in those 22 days to get himself from you know hospital bed with double fracture of his right leg to you know to basically being able to run at the front of a, of a MotoGP race um yeah it was it was really really quite staggering um and i guess you know in some ways you know Rossi made it clear halfway through this year after he won at Assen that if he's still competitive in the first part of 2018, he'd be willing to sign on for another two years. You know, he's still getting that enjoyment, still getting that buzz. And I think, you know, his performance at Aragon, I'm sure one of the things that he considers or he has to consider when he's, you know, considering um, extending his stay in MotoGP is just how his body is. You know, is his body able to stand up to beatings like it was, you know, say 10 years ago? Is he able to recover from injuries as quick as he was 10 years ago? And here was evidence that, yes, he is. I don't know how, but he is still able to kind of, uh, um, yeah, to, to throw himself into it, absolutely giving it everything. And... Um, I mean, you know, if, if, if you're hoping to see Valentino Rossi stay in MotoGP beyond 2018, I think this bodes very well for that because, you know, here he is, he's still a bionic man. He can still come back and, uh, you know, stun people with uh, the rate at which he recovers. Yeah, I think that was my takeaway when, when I was trying to process it myself. It wasn't so much the, I think I have a shot at the 2017 championship. And, you know, I think that that is a part of it where, if a Marquez crashes, if a Davizioso crashes, if a Vinales crashes, you know, there's there's enough um, room in the points where an exceptional circumstance puts him right back into the championship hunt, and you have to be prepared for that as as a top tier athlete. You're looking for every small little gain, and that's that's a part of that. I kind of understand that, but I think for me, the bigger part was that it showed how willing he was, or how dedicated he still was to 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 being in racing form and to and to 
be in the championship hunt and, and it puts down a marker in my mind for for what next season could be about where it's like hey this isn't going to be my sunset years i'm not just going to circulate i'm valentino fucking rossi and i'm going to go ride some motorbikes and you know <laughs> when you get on the grid with me you better be ready to do that yeah exactly it was almost like he was trying to just remind everybody that hey you know i'm still i'm still the guy here um you know and I remember, you know, the day before Aragon when we heard that he was going to be showing up and going out in FP1, you know, there was a few slightly cynical comments, slightly snarky that, that suggested this was a bit of a vanity project. You know, he couldn't, he just couldn't bear with, you know, guys like Marquez and, and Vinales, uh, you know, riding off into the sunset and stealing the, the kind of the narrative uh, from the race weekend. But, but yeah, I mean, he proved pretty much straight out of the box on Friday that, um, that he was going to be competitive. Um and uh, you know, to to see him qualify in the front row, and then you know, mix it pretty much with uh, with Lorenzo in the opening laps, and only finish I think what was it half a second, just over half a second off Vinales, a fully fit Vinales yeah. at the, at the end of the race was just uh, you know a, a really phenomenal achievement. So yeah, it was definitely it was it was a lot of things at play, but I think one of those was definitely just him saying, look, you know, I'm still I may be 38, but I can still do kind of pretty incredible feats. Um, and, you know, people were asked throughout the weekend, you know, different riders throughout the weekend about, you know, their thoughts on the matter. And everyone just said, well, it's, it's Valentino, isn't it? You know, you just uh, you can't really be surprised. That's that's what it takes to be the best. That's that's why he's the doctor, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Maybe that's what it was. He was working on himself. He was able to give himself that 24 hour, uh, you know, seven days a week care. Yeah, there's so many good puns that I'm leaving on the table here. I'm gonna save 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 our listeners from that. But if you like good puns, you can listen to our other podcast. Uh, <laughs> my co-host Quentin is the uh, the expert on them. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about Lorenzo because that for me was probably one of the more uh, impressive rides we've seen from him this season. And I kind of mean that because a lot of the other rides haven't been that impressive. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there was a few a few really sobering, chastening moments in the first half of the year, let's say, um, where you just thought, oh God, you know, Ducati shelled out all that money and you're qualifying outside the top 20 at Aston, yeah. for example. You know, Here we go again. Yeah, exactly. But you know, what he has done, I think since the summer break has been really impressive and it's just been that, you know, there's been signs of that progression. Each race weekend, there's been something else. There's just been another little thing that he's added to his performance where you've thought, okay, right, he's, he's putting all the pieces together very gradually. And I think it's been quite impressive to watch. Um, Aragon was, uh, you know, I thought was a, was a really fine race for him. He really led more laps than he has done uh, in any other race this year. <clears throat> um, he chose Midtland soft rear tyre um, to, you know, to, to kind of attack the race. And he sort of knew that he couldn't, um, he had to really nurse that to make sure it was in decent shape by the end of the race. And, and when Marcus and Pedroza came by, he just didn't have that that grip needed to, to really kind of fight back and challenge them. Um, but, you know, if you look at, if you look at his race pace, it's, it's, you know, it's vintage Lorenzo, it's trademark Lorenzo. I think there's a, maybe a 0.7 variation from his fastest flying lap to his slowest flying lap, you know, and that's kind of, you know, the Lorenzo that, that we know when he's operating at his very best. Um, yeah. And, and uh, you know, the, you, you've got to think that that first win is coming, you know, sooner rather than later. Um, and it was interesting. I spoke to his crew chief at Aragon, uh, Christian Gabarini, you know, who who came from Jack Miller's garage over to to Lorenzo's um, for this year. And, you know, and Gabarini was saying that basically, you know, Lorenzo's been using this kind of aerodynamic variant since Bernal, 
And that's definitely helped him. That's given him a bit more front feel. It's helped him load the front a bit more. But he said that he feels that it's just a complete mental change from from the Saxon ring to, to Bruno. Um, Lorenzo had, what, four weeks over the summer break to sit at home and process everything that he had taken in. And he has this kind of ability to, to put things in a sort of priority order of how he needs to deal with them. And I think we've pretty much seen a different rider um, in the second half of this year. And if you think that he was able to make that that jump from uh, June to August after four weeks of summer break, it's quite exciting to think how good he'll be when he comes to uh, Sepang in February, you know, after he's had a, a kind of winter uh, to, to kind of consider things to, you know, maybe adjust his approach. And uh, you have to imagine his caddy will be a better bike next year as well. So, um, yeah, so I think it kind of bodes well for Lorenzo's future with Ducati. Another very, very strong showing. Yeah, I think, you know, that's why Ducati's paying him all the money. They're, they're expecting him to go and um, bring the home the championship that they that they want so badly. The the irony for me, of course, has been to watch uh, Andrea Divizioso be the, the lead rider at Ducati this season. And uh, I can kind of remember back to... <sighs> Indianapolis or one of the American rounds that I was at talking to Davi back when he was a part of the, the three rider team with Casey Stoner and Danny Pedrosa. And, uh, I remember asking him, you know, what, what's your, what's your goal for this season? What's your intention? And he goes, Oh, you know, to win the championship. And you're like, uh, do you know who your teammates are? Like, are you aware of the situation <laughs> in front of you right now? Like, I don't think anyone's putting money on, on Andrea to win the championship in this season, man. It, it seems like staying with Ducati and putting in the time and getting to know that bike uh, has really paid off. Now, I'm not going to show blind ignorance that, you know, a lot of his result is because of the results of other people. But it does seem that, you know, putting in the the hard work at Ducati has paid off in spades for Davi and, you know, still has a, a really realistic shot at the championship. Um, yeah. You know, if that Mark Marquez guy would just go away for a minute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, Dovi showed last year at the three flyaways that uh, I think he was really competitive, each one of them. Um, not uh, rain is forecast for this weekend, by the way, JB, at uh, Motegi. And you have to imagine that, you know, that's going to really fall into Davizio's hands more than anyone's if it does indeed rain. Um, but yeah, he's, he's he's had a phenomenal season, easily his best year in Grand Prix. Um, and it's, it's just, it's, it's been wonderful to watch. It's been, I think it's been great confirmation for a lot of those guys that, you know, maybe haven't put everything together, you know, by the mid twenties, you know, not everyone can be a, you know, multi uh, world champion at, at the age of 24 or 25, like, you know, like Rossi or Marquez or Lorenzo, but, um, but, you know, David Sosa's, uh, you know, living proof that if you kind of just think about it and, you know, if you sort of, keep trying to, you know, he's, he's made no secrets to the fact that he's had a, a sort of a mental coach that started helping him from, uh, I think, from the midpoint of last year. Um, that's kind of helped him deal with pressure, helped him manage the weekends. Um, and it's, yeah, there's been a lot of risks this year where he's, he's probably not been the fastest guy, but it's just the sort of intelligence, the, the method of working, um, always with the race in mind. And that's really, you know, that's, that's come up trumps for him. And um, yeah, I think... I think everyone, you know, bar the, the sort of absolute die, uh, diehard Mark Marquez fans, you know, are kind of willing to Vizioso on here because it would be it would be a staggering achievement. It would be one of those championships that would, you know, kind of like a, a Nicky hit in 2006. You know, it would just stand out in history as, 
you know something really special something really quite quite odd and, and unexpected um but yeah he has a whole lot of work to do to, to make that happen for sure I agree with everything you said, and that's why it was so frustrating for me to watch the race at Aragon, um, him starting farther back on the grid. And then just obviously with the pace that he was showing, you could just see like this wasn't going to be his day. Yeah. Uh, there was definitely faster riders on the track, and then everything kind of just fell apart at the end with the tires, and that seemed to have uh, been kind of the undoing for both of the, the Ducati riders that day. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely one of the Vitiosos bogey tracks. So... You know, he needed as much dry setup time as he could get on Saturday evening. He was still mulling over, you know, several tire options and, you know, he still had some big changes to make with the bike. So I think that really, you know, losing Friday affected the Vizioso more than more than arguably anyone else um, on the grid. And, um, you know, it was always going to be a difficult weekend anyway. I thought he rode really, really well in the first part of the race, by the way. You know, the, he made a great start. He was really aggressive on the first lap. He got yeah. right up with the leading group. That was impressive. But, um, but you know, he just didn't quite have the setup in place to, to keep that uh, to keep that going. And, um, yeah, seventh place, I mean, yeah, it's by recent standards, it's not a bad result at Aragon. But considering what's at stake here and considering who won, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the best weekend. Yeah, that's the thing. We've got to talk about the, the man on the top step, Mark Marquez. You know, I look at Aragon as kind of a, a turning point for his season where things weren't really clicking into gear, but this is where everything came together, put down a lot of points against Davizioso, put down some good points against uh, Vinales, and um, you know, I think there's a, there's a sizable gap from him to Rossi. So this is, I think, that spot where now he can come in and manage the championship rather than try and, and mm. play catch up. Yeah, true, true. Absolutely. And you just think, like, yeah, imagine what would have... Imagine um, the situation he would be in had he not had that uh, injury blow up at Silverstone. You know, that really... That moment is kind of keeping this championship alive at the moment because, um, yeah, because Mark's just been, you know, in phenomenal shape. Um, and, and the most impressive thing about it is it's just every situation. He is among the fastest guys. Um, you know, they go to a track where it's wet one of the days. He's right there in the wet. You have a race in mixed conditions. He's the guy that's clever, plays the best hand, you know, like we saw in Bruneau, comes out on top. You have, you know, a track where he's maybe not so good at in the past. Maybe it shouldn't suit the Honda on paper like Austria. You know, he takes the videos right the way to the wire, you know, within one corner of, of winning that race. Um, and again, here at Aragon, what was really interesting was that, you know, you saw Mark clearly like was the fastest guy over a free practice. But in the race, he was ragged. Like he was really out of shape. There was a couple of moments where he was really lucky not to crash. I think there, he had a moment at turn 12 where he broke way too late, came so close to taking Lorenzo out. And uh, yeah, he just didn't look comfortable on the bike. But, you know, he managed it. He didn't do anything too rash. And, you know, <laughs> in, in Mark Marquez standards. Yeah, yeah. By, by, by his own kind of wild standards. And, um, you know, yeah, he came out, he came out on top. And, you know, he, yeah, uh, you know, at, at the moment, uh, a disastrous day for Marquez is like a fourth place on, in qualifying. You know, when things really go against him, he still ends up in like, you know, the top five. Yeah. I think we should, uh, you know, we all know how talented he is. And, and another thing is just that you look at the coming up, the race is coming up, and you think like, well, Dovi could be good at Mategi, he's going to be good at Sepang, but he's maybe not the best at Philippines, he's not so good at Valencia. And you look at Vinales and you think, well, maybe, you know, 
he's maybe not so good in the wet. If it rains at Mategi this weekend, it could really struggle. You just know Marcus is going to be there at each each race weekend, no matter what the conditions are. And, you know, I think that's what really um, you know makes him all-time favorite to, to win this. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you, but I also want to come back to something you said where, you know, there, there were so many incidents at Aragon and there's been so many incidents at uh, other races where, and, 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 and where, you know, that, that one little thing or that one turn did catch Mark out. Um, or I should say there's been so many incidents where, you know, Mark's saving the front and, and riding on the edge and is nearly crashing into another rider and, you know, all the things that, we love about him as a racer because it's so entertaining, but because he's so on the limit all the time and, and we've seen this season, it catch him out on some occasions and if, you know, materially affect the championship, you know, what are the chances going forward that, that we have in all of these moments or is that just kind of the Marquez secret sauce where he can flirt with that, that danger and still come out ahead? Yeah. I mean, I think he is, um, you know, we saw this last year that he's got this kind of this approach where he's willing to risk it all. He's willing to crash as many times as, as needs be on on Saturday or Friday. He doesn't really care. Um, you know, we saw it at Barcelona. I think it was this year. He had five crashes through free practice qualifying and morning warm up. And um, you know, you were looking towards the race, thinking, "Man, he's going to be right in the ragged edge, and he's really going to be up against it. How is he going to How is he going to do it?" But he brought it home. Um, I think he's crashed 22 times this year. That's more than double, I think, already. More than but maybe around double the amount that he crashed last year. Yeah, I mean, to go as fast as he's going, he has to be absolutely on the limit. But he has this kind of unbelievable ability to suss that limit out in qualifying or in, in, in free practice to see where it is and then to ride just a little bit behind it, you know, in the race. Um, in Aragon, he was absolutely right on it. There's no doubt about that for the first half of the race. Um, but, you know, that's just his, his incredible innate talent. He is able to ride that sort of line where the limit, exactly where the limit is. Um, and, you know, now he's, he's 24 years old. He's got he's got that experience. Um, yeah, he just, he doesn't really make so many big mistakes anymore like we maybe saw in, say, 2015. Uh, I want to take a break real quick. But before we do, we should probably just briefly touch on Danny Pedrosa because it was nice to see him actually show up and, and race a motorcycle after uh, <laughs> the race at Masano. Yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, Danny had an absolute nightmare at Misano. Um Yeah. The, those kind of Michelin, the, the the tire range, sorry, the temperature range for Michelin's wet tires can be a funny little thing. And, you know, with Danny's very light frame, he was just not able to generate any sort of temperature in that rear. And he was just a, he was just a passenger for that whole time. Um, so, yeah, Pedroso again was fast here. It was one of those races where you felt he probably could have won it. Um, he probably should have won it. Um, but, uh, but he was just a bit too... A bit too slow in the opening laps. He couldn't get past Vinales early on. And, I mean, you know, his pace towards the end of the race was, was he was the fastest guy in the track, comfortably. Um, yeah, and it, it was a good ride from Pedroza, but, you know, difficult to escape the feeling that this was maybe one of those races that he should have won at. And, you know, it's it's been a good year for him, but ultimately it's it's been another year where his teammate is probably going to win the championship and, and Danny's just come up a little bit short. Uh, let's take a break there, Neil. And when we come back, we'll talk about the flyaways and what we can expect for the rest of the season.
David Emmett here. Just a quick reminder, if you're listening to this show on iTunes, please remember to leave us a review and rate us, as it really helps other fans find the show. Thanks a lot. Bye. All right, we are back. Neil, let's move uh, on from Aragon. Ooh, that rhymes. And uh, talk about the flyaways. We've got three races coming up, Motegi, Phillip Island, and Sepang, and then we go on to the season finale in Valencia. How is this all going to play out? Uh, You know, we've already kind of mentioned that there's going to be some rain in Motegi, but who typically Mm. goes fast uh, at the Japanese track when when the weather is constant that we should be keeping an eye out for? Um, If we were to look back at the past for three or four seasons, we would have to say Jorge Lorenzo um, was a bit of a specialist around Mitegi. Um, He was really, really strong there. Um, I guess if we were looking at other tracks this year that kind of fit the profile of Mitegi, you would say if it's dry, I mean, Le Mans, got similar style, lots of heavy braking areas, right angle corners. Um, I think the grip at Mitegi is not so bad, you know, so you would say that Vinales and Rossi should be there. Um, Marquez has been fast ever recently, so he's definitely going to be in, in the hunt. And, and, you know, I think Ducati has a you know, really good traction, really good punch out of the corners. So Davizioso is going to be there. And if it's raining, Davizioso is going to be absolutely one of the main men that you would have to say will be challenging at the front. So, yeah, Mategi's always a, an interesting one. Um, I think it, I think it's quite open. Um, I guess, you know, historically, Danny Pedrosa goes well there too. So you've really got six six names that you could choose from. Yeah, looking at the podium from from last year, Marquez, Davi, Vinales. I mean, it's like, well, that's yeah, those are the yeah. players for for the rest of the season. So yeah, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. Throw a blanket on them and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, Rossi and, and Lorenzo crashed out of the podium positions last year when they were sort of trying to chase Marquez down. Um, so you know, I guess you could almost say that Vinales and Vitos were slightly fortunate to finish where they did. But um, yeah, but I, I still think that uh, that those guys will be will be the players. It's, it's worth noting that this year Yamaha has really struggled in wet conditions. It's just not um, the sort of the, the the issues with rear traction are kind of almost exacerbated. Um, those guys haven't figured out how to work the traction control settings with the electronics, and there's just something almost fundamental with the bike in, in the rain. It's strange because the Yamaha has always historically been so good in the rain, and I guess this is just another sign that with Michelin's you know wet tires, they still have some work to do. So, um, so I'm sure Maverick is looking at that, uh, looking at that weather forecast, and just praying that it's wrong. Because really, if he if he say he finishes even fourth or fifth, which wouldn't be an awful result, but if he finishes fourth and fifth and marks second, first, that's it. That's the title over. So, um, so yeah. So it should be interesting to see see how it plays out. If the Yamahas aren't going well in the rain, can we say the Ducatis still are? Is that something that mm. still kind of holds true? Or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Lorenzo says that the, this is the best bike he's ever ridden in the rain. Um, it's just got so much mechanical grip, so much traction, um, you know, because you're not throwing it from side to side and changing direction as quickly as you would in the dry. The turning issue isn't quite as acute. Um, so, yeah, I think the Ducati absolutely is, uh, is still quite a, quite a wet weather animal. Yeah. It should be an interesting race to, to see. Uh, moving on to Phillip Island. That seems to be a track that favors the bold. Um, 
who do you who do you who are your picks at Phillip Island and how do you see that that sussing out? Yeah, I mean, if yeah, if we're to look at the last couple of years, I mean, you know, it's it's Rossi's favorite track. Um, Mark, I think maybe produced his best ride in MotoGP ever in 2015 to win there. Um, and Vinales, that was kind of his coming of age. I am a MotoGP rider, and you're going to be seeing a lot more of me. You know, in 2015, he was uh, what six seconds off the race win uh, as a rookie on a Suzuki. Um, I've got some rhyming going on myself here as well, JB. You're inspired. I like me. it. I like it. Yeah, I, yeah. I aim to inspire. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, if, if we look at um, if we look at the, the sort of the test that we had there in uh, February, it was uh, on the final day it was Maverick. Mark and Crutchlow. Crutchlow obviously won a Philip yeah. last year. So yeah. you'd have to imagine that he's going to be in the mix in some shape or form. Um, so yeah, I think Philip Allen could be one of those. I mean, if, if we look at Aragon and the, the top eight were covered by just under eight seconds, I mean, Philip Allen's historically one of those tracks where you've got close racing groups aren't uh, split apart by that much of an advantage. You know, I can really see a race where you've got like 10, 12 guys all covered in, you know, the same camera shot basically, you know. So I think if it's if it's right, Philip Island, we could be in for a real treat. Um, yeah, and just another, you know, touched on it there. Um, at Aragon, the top 15 were covered by 26 seconds. That's the fifth time this year alone that the top 15 have been covered by less than 35 seconds. Um, do you know how many times before 2017 that happened in the Premier class? I'm going to just kind of go with like, never. Well, five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's happened as many times this year <laughs> as it had in the entire history of, of MotoGP 500s, uh, you know, from 1949 until 2016. So it just goes to show you that this new spec software, electronic software, you know, Mitchell and Tires really has brought the competition closer together. And we're seeing a kind of a, a sort of almost parody in competition that is, is unrivaled. Yeah, I mean, you're obviously better with the statistics than I am, but just from the from the the from my couch, you can tell that the the racing's gotten better. Uh, every race, with maybe some exceptions this season, but you know, most part, this has been you know last few years some really interesting racing. And the last you know this season, obviously, has been tremendously interesting to watch with with the way the rules package has handled electronics and the variation between the teams and the riders. I think Dorna's really hit the nail on the head in terms of finding a formula that breeds competition. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what's been really interesting about this year, I think, is, has been the sort of emergence of KTM and Aprilia to, um, to manufacturers that you think if they play their cards right in the next season or two, you know, could be knocking on the door for an occasional podium now and again, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, I want to get to them in a minute, but let's let's finish up looking at these, these final tracks. So, Sepang... Uh, Davi, Rossi, Lorenzo on the podiums last year. Do you see that continuing this year? I mean, you've done your homework. Who, who's, who's your favorite? <laughs> yeah, no, I think who, um, who, who, and 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 by how many seconds? And can you give me the spread? <laughs> and by the way, can I borrow 50 euros? <laughs> yes, uh, judging by the fact that you live in. Uh, one of the most expensive areas in uh, in the United States. I'm going to refuse that 50 euros because I need it more than you do. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that Sepang. Yeah, it's, it's it's difficult to say really because yeah, last year. I mean, it's a it's a Davizioso track. He won there last year in the wet. Um, I think that should be a really good track for him and Ducati. Um, 
I also think it'll be a really good track for Vinales because uh, if, it, if it didn't rain last year, I think Vinales was possibly going to fight for the race win on the Suzuki. He was fastest there in preseason. Um, Pedroza is just an animal there. You know, he's, he's Pedroza's skill for the last, you know, 10 years in MotoGP has been his ability to kind of pick up the bike and get it onto the fat part of the tyre. And that really works well coming out of like uh, I think the penultimate turn at Sepang which leads onto a long straight and the last turn which also leads onto a long straight so um, yeah I think Davitoso um, Maverick uh, Pedroza are going to be really really strong and you know Mark you know, Mark's going to be Mark's going to be there every race I think so yeah interesting really interesting you know and uh, you know I'm kind of maybe being slightly pessimistic about this world title saying that oh it's you know Marcus is to lose or whatever but you know all it does take is just another freak incident um, for it to be crazy um, you know and as we saw in 2015 when you go to those kind of like you know the final three races with so much at stake then you're you know there's a chance of you kind of acting a bit out of character like Rossi did you know it's a pang and, and when did that happen did you, when I don't remember that <laughs> yeah you might have read about it somewhere is this going to be a championship that goes down to Valencia do you see do you see this wrapping up in Spain or is this something that that a Marquez or a Davizioso or Vinales wraps up before then. I, maybe, maybe it's kind of impossible for Davi and, and Maverick to to get it mm. in before then. But is this something Mark can finish up before Spain? Yeah, I think so. I think so. You think so? Yeah, That's where you're I putting your so. money then. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I think, yeah, I think uh, if we have a wet weekend in Mategi, that's Vinales out of it. Um, you know, Davizioso, he finished fourth, I think, at Phillip Island last year, but. It's not one of his favorite tracks. He's a guy that breaks really late. He's not as adept at kind of doing the whole flowing, maintaining huge amounts of corner speed kind of thing that Philip Allen demands. So there's a weak track for him. Uh, you know, as I've said several times already, you know, Mark's strong everywhere. So I could, yeah, I, I definitely could feasibly see him wrapping it up at uh, at Sepang. Yeah. But let's hope not. Yeah, you know, let's, because... let's assume for a second that you're wrong. Because... What? You've never been wrong before. So like, let's say the, the, the stars align and, and you're wrong for a change. I mean, who are the riders that are going to come into to play here and kind of mix it up? Because, you know, I look at kind of the names that we've been talking about through these last four rounds. And there's some guys that are outside of the points that are outside the championship hunt that are serious contenders for race wins, that are definitely serious contenders for podiums. And they're going to rob points off the guys below them that could be our... Marquez's and Artavizioso's and Artavignales's and and so yeah, forth. Sure. So who's the number one threat coming from from outside the the championship hunt? Uh, I guess you know at uh, Mategi and Sepang, I would say it's Pedrosa and and Valencia as well. You know he's really strong at those at those tracks. Um, at Phillip Island, Crutchlow, I think is 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 a guy that you have to wager would be willing to put it on the line to stick it on the podium. Um, you know, Johan Zarco has been really, really impressive at certain points this year. Um, he is, you know, if you look back at his, his form in Moto2 over the past two years, you know, very good at Mategi. I think he scored maybe his first Grand Prix win there at Mategi back in 2010, was it 11, 2011? Um, so, you know, Zarco, you know, you, you could see him kind of pulling off a really great result, you know, in the final four races. Um, you know, he's probably been the revelation of this year. And um, and Lorenzo, I mean, Lorenzo's just been building and building. Um, we mentioned that in the, in the previous section of the, of the show. Um, so, you know, there's four guys that aren't involved in the championship, but, you know, you could easily see them finishing ahead of one of the three title guys. 
Yeah. And then you've, yeah. Yeah, and then you've got Rossi, obviously, as well. You know, I mean, Rossi's going to be there or thereabouts in most of those, most of those encounters too. So, um, yeah, it's um, you know, Marquez. My money's on Marquez, but it's, it's not going to be straightforward. No, I do. I think it it is going to be a good fight, and uh, it'll obviously shake out in the next week or two. Um, I think Motegi will give us a good insight into where the championship goes from there, but. Yeah, if it's wet, it's probably worth saying. You know, Petrucci has been uh, has been stellar in, in wet conditions this year. Um, he's on the bike yeah. that's quite quite similar to to Vizioso. Um, You know, was a lap away from winning his home race at, uh, at San Marino in the in the rain. And uh, if it's wet here in uh, in Japan, you know, Danilo could be a shot for uh, for a podium, if not more. Yeah, I think absolutely. If you're looking, if you want to talk polar opposites, uh, Lorenzo in mixed conditions is an absolute nightmare, and Petrucci seems to shine. Uh, it's been a great uh, a season for him in that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, he's two times now that he's come within, you know, a, a whisker of uh, of taking his first win, um, and it's it's kind of funny seeing his progression from finishing on the podium at Mategi, uh, Mategi, sorry, at Mugello. Uh, you know, standing on the podium, third, crying, you know, looked like he was, it was the best day of his life. Um, and then watching his reaction, I asked him where he, he finished a place higher, but just missed out in the win. And he was so angry, he was so angry that he had missed it, you know. Um, so, yeah, so you have to feel that, you know, if, if the stars align, that, you know, Danilo's first MotoGP win isn't far away. Um, and, yeah, you probably would take, well, it would take, you know, weather probably to intervene for that to happen, but... As we've just spoken, you know, Sepang is a place that rains every day. Mategi's got a rubbish forecast for this weekend. So, yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the the teams that we haven't talked about. <laughs> I guess it's the best way to introduce them. Um, Aprilia, KTM, Suzuki. Uh, how are you rating their progress so far this season? And, and where do you see their development going for, for 2018? Uh, well, shall I, shall I give them grades or... Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. You, can, you can. David. David's not here, so we can kind of take a a play out of his book with his yearly report cards. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, no worries. Well, uh, yeah, I guess if we start with Suzuki, you would probably give them a a D. Yeah, maybe, that's being maybe, generous, right? Maybe an E. Yeah, it's, it's it's just been a disaster, hasn't it? It's been absolutely woeful. Um, yeah, and I, I give him. Know. I give him like a theta, like just Greek alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just a blank piece of paper would probably be the yeah, kindest thing. It's been tough. It's been tough, especially I think I think part of that though is the expectation because we saw so much brilliance last year and so much progress last year just to see it go completely sideways this year. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been remarkable uh to watch it all unravel. Um and yeah, it's just one of those things where you wonder, you know, looking at how it's gone this year. Did you know? Did um, David Brivio really think that Andre Iannone was the guy to to lead a factory? Was he the sort of personality that that is needed to 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 work as hard as as anyone in the factory to to put in as many laps over a test, more laps than anyone to communicate effectively with those in the garage to to kind of bring the team around him and get them all on his side, get them all motivated. He's just not that guy, you know. He's a he's a he's a brilliant talent he's a fantastic rider on this day but um but you know listen to ian only complain about the suzuki is like listening to him complain about the suzuki in february there's been such little progress made um and you know he is a character you have to give him that um but his character certainly gives the impression that 
at times he would rather be elsewhere, you know, and that's really not good for, you know, a guy that's supposed to be leading the factory, supposed to be the experienced member of that team. Um, and it's supposed to be driving that forward. So yeah, it's been it's been really tough for Suzuki and it's gonna take something really dramatic to make that better next year. Is that I mean, where do you put the I was gonna say where do you put the blame, but I don't know if that's quite the right phrase, but is that be, because Ianoni has been such a disappointment this season? Or is that because Vinales was such an overachievement last mm. season? Yeah, both really. Both. But, um, you know, Vinales obviously had a, a stunning year last year. You know, no matter what way you look at it, the fact that he was leading the race at Aragon last year for, I don't know how long, how many laps it was, pardon me, but he, he was leading quite a chunk of that race. He qualified in the front row at Mizano. Like, the Suzuki's were absolutely nowhere at Mizano this year. Um, you know, he did some remarkable things last year. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, but I think, you know, you know, he's been he's been poor. You know, there's just, there's no getting around it. And there's been no progress. There's been, there really hasn't been any progress at all. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's just not worked out. Yeah. Well, so again, let's, you know, just to play the devil's advocate a little bit more. Is that no progress because Suzuki, Suzuki isn't taking their GP program as seriously as they should be, which which is kind of was always like kind of the worry when they came back in. They were trying to court top level riders, and it's like, well, you know, in the, in the past, you kind of left people hanging in terms of your development and and how much you were willing to spend. Or is that because Suzuki's program is so dependent on getting good feedback from its riders, and that's just not part of the feedback loop right now? You have a rookie uh, rider in one seat, and you have um, of Andre Iannone and the other. I don't know how to describe him beyond he's he's a he's a singularity in himself. A character. I, I, character. Have, I have I don't have no words. I have no words for that man. Um <laughs> uh, but yeah. is that because there's there isn't a strong development rider, or is that because there isn't strong development going on in Japan, I guess is what I'm trying to get to. I mean it's you know, I think on on paper, if you look at it, um I mean yeah. Like, you know, Vinales wanted his team to leave and go to Yamaha with him. And his team actually turned him down and said, no, we're really happy with how things are at Suzuki. We like the way they do things. We like the way they go about their business. There was a really good core team spirit there, a good method of working, and a kind of, you know, sort of a, a David versus Goliath mindset where, you know, they knew they were kind of up against the odds, but they kind of reveled in that, you know? Almost um, like a Davide versus Goliath. Oh. Huh? Huh? No. He went there. Yes. Um I mean, I don't think it's it's through uh, a lack of trying. I mean, Suzuki, they've changed their project director, you know, um, you know in the first third of this year. Um, they have brought a lot of different test parts to, you know, various, um, the various race weekends. It is worth noting that this year they lost their kind of, uh, their, their testing concessions, you know, that, that MotoGP new factories right. have. Right. Um, you know, Vinales' great results last year meant that they lost that kind of unlimited testing. Um, they had to put a seal in their engine. Um, and it was interesting, actually, after Aragon, I think there was a story in uh, motorsport.com, um, Spanish colleague uh, Oriel Puigdemont was reporting that basically Suzuki had, you know, a selection of engines to choose from um, at the start of the year. And it's kind of been accepted within the factory that Ianone, you know, plowed ahead with the wrong engine, basically. You know, huh. So that seems to have um, kind of been something that's underlining some of their issues, you know. Um, but... I don't know, man. I still think, you know, if Vinales was on that bike, he would be 
pushing for the podium. I really do. And I think even you, you look at the, the autumn of 2016, Alicia Spargro was fighting for the podium in Mitegi and Phillip Island. Um, that was a good bike, you know, at the end of last year. That was a really good bike. And, um, you know, I, I, I can't believe, I, I don't think any of the other factories have taken giant strides this year. Mm. I, I, you know, I, I don't believe that, um, that Suzuki can be that far away. Well, let me let me play counterpoint for you again because is it is it that the bike was so good last year that Alicia Spargo was able to to make good results with it, or is it because Alicia Spargo makes good results with whatever he's on? He did quite yeah, well on the CRT rider. bike. He's been doing fantastic things this season with the Aprilia. Mm. You know, it's again, it's one of those things where I'm, I guess, what I'm trying to do is suss out how much of this is the riders at the teams and how much is this the teams themselves because Aprilia has taken another step. Yeah, forward this season, at least with Alesh, they've, they've taken about five steps backwards with Sam, but um, you know, that seems like that program's really making progress, and I was talking to one of the team members the other day about it, and they were very positive about the gains, but he was also quick to point out, like, you know, this, a lot of this is a Spargo, or, or a good portion of this is a Spargo in terms of not only the feedback that he gives, but also just his ability on race day. Yeah. He's a good rider. He's a good rider. And he's proved over the past, you know, three years that if you're a, a new, you know, factory or you're a factory that's returned to the series, um, he is a he's a really capable guy of bringing that project up to the you know the kind of the necessary level, of being competitive in around the top six. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think Suzuki made a massive blunder letting him go. Massive blunder. Um, and you know, let's remind ourselves that. Uh, Davide Brivio chose Alex Rins over Johan Zarco as well. You know, they had they had a pre-contract signed with Zarco. Yeah, and yeah. Just think, like you know, would things be that different had he been there? You know, I think we could make a a few statements about the rider lineup for Suzuki this year, and um, not many of them would be positive. Um, and that might be the same said about KTM. It's been a tale of two cities over in Austria as well. Yeah, it has. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think you know, it's been a tale of, of just remarkable progress and, and and sort of defying expectations for KTM. That bike is now a top ten bike, and it's not a surprise anymore to see Paul Spargro in the top ten in any kind of session. Um, yeah, it's 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 really really impressive to see just how far KTM have come, and their performances in the past, you know, three months really make you wonder like where is the limit for this for this project you know and you have to say that the limit is right at the very top i was i was a little bit skeptical whenever the, the whole thing you know came out and we heard stefan Pira say that you know his dream is to win moto gp one day and you think like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You, know, you know okay you've succeeded in other series uh-huh. you know you've done well in other series no doubt like i mean you know doing it in supercross msgp moto 3 those are elite level competitions, but you know, if MotoGP is kind of another level, you'd have to say. Um, but uh, but yeah, I just love the the whole way they've gone about it. It's just been so clever. Um, and yeah, in Aspargro, they've got a rider who you know his style is sort of the bike, a guy that can really push things, is so motivated and is prepared to you know. I think in terms of development, he's exactly what you need. He's a guy that will just go out on his out lap and will be giving it everything. Um, they've got some real good brains behind that project too. And um, yeah, we're starting to see them become a, you know, for them to be a regular top 10 uh, finisher now towards the end of this year, I think has defied even the, the sort of grandest expectations. 
Yeah, I think if I told you at the beginning of the season that KTM would be outpacing Aprilia and outpacing Suzuki, especially. Yeah. Yeah, I probably, you probably would have laughed me right off the microphone. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's been, yeah. it's been immensely impressive, but maybe we shouldn't be so surprised about that. Looking at the, the facility that KTM built uh, outside Salzburg, how much money they're spending, how many people they're bringing on board, their dedication, not only to Moto3, but Moto2 and MotoGP. I mean, they're putting it in the pipeline. They're putting it in the infrastructure in, in the paddock and, you know, at the factory. They're they're taking this deadly serious. And you know, I think I, I take Stefan Perrier at his word when he says he wants to go beat his biggest rival, his biggest rival being Honda. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. From a, a kind of a lesser name, um, you would sort of scorn at that. Uh, I got a comment like that, but there's something about him saying it where you think like oh yeah and i think it's been really interesting how they have sort of dealt with the bradley smith situation as well um because you know the first part of the year all the noise coming out was like oh you know it's it's great to be here i think we're ahead of where we expected to be things are things are great you know and we're really happy to have guys like paul and bradley two ex top six MotoGP riders kind of in the thick of it you know and it's great that they chose us you know, Bradley has a, has a bad result, a bad race in Austria. The test rider, Mika Calio, comes in and, um, you know, beats him comprehensively. And you really start to see this kind of, uh, this ruthless side of uh, of the KTM upper management of, you know, and the CEO, Stefan, uh, Stefan Pira, Pit Byer, the kind of the motorsports manager. Um, you know, they will not really accept kind of, uh, you know, underachievement, basically. And Bradley really has a job in his hands in the final four races to, to save his save his ride for next year because Aragon was another race where Mika Kahlo came in and beat him comprehensively. You know, yeah. finished uh, finished eight places ahead. I think a similar margin to where to Austria as well. He was uh, let's see, yeah, seven, he was seventeen seconds, but he was twenty seconds ahead of Bradley Smith as well. And um, that does not make for good reading for Bradley, especially considering Bradley had tested it at uh, at Aragon over the summer break. You know. So yes, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. It, it kind of, it seemed at the time that Aragon was kind of going to be the definitive, the definitive race. You know, if Calio beat him there, then he would be he would maybe be in for 2018. But KTM management, I think, are you know they're being clever. They're saying, look, we don't want to make any rash judgments. I think they know that's going to cost them a lot of money to to get. Um, you know, to buy Bradley out of his racing contract for 2018. Is it though? I mean, let's say let's say you're you're spending upwards of 50 million dollars. Sure. I mean, how it, much it, is Bradley's contract on top of that for a season? Really? Sure, sure. I think at the same time, there's a realization that although Calio, I'm not taking anything away from Calio, he has been really, really impressive in his past two wildcard outings. But you know, it's not like this is some young talent that could potentially win a world championship one day yeah yeah well yeah. that's kind of the question i wanted to ask you next is you know when in the development process or when the the racing process for ktm do we start talking about them i hate to be disrespectful to the current riders but look for top tier talent you know we, we yeah. kind of saw suzuki go head hunting for the 2017 season and it didn't quite work out i think the way they wanted it to um, especially with Vinales leaving and kind of leaving them to scramble. But, you know, when does KTM kind of turn the point where, okay, well, we've got the guys that are, I would say Paul Spargo and Bradley Smith are great bang for the buck riders. You're going to get them cheap and they're going to do great results and they're great at development. So they make a lot of sense from 
the, an accountant's point of view. But when do we start seeing them go after um, a Pedrosa, a Davicioso, uh Try and get Vinales. You know, name, name, name a rider that's in the top five right now. You know, a, yeah, a, a Crutch Lower, a Petrucci, or someone that's that's been on the podium in recent memory. Yeah, yeah. Next year, so, I mean, everyone. You think so? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, next year, I think everyone in MotoGP bar maybe two riders is out of contract at the end of 2018. So the silly season next year is just going to be like, you know, 2016, that kind of crazy three or four months period. Like, yeah. you know, let's try. And, and let me just interject this from, from like a business point of view, whoever those riders are, whoever that manager is, needs to be dragged out into the street and shot because you just worked over your client supremely into their negotiating abilities for the next foreseeable season. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think KTM are going to, are going to go out and try and just spend insane amounts of money at the start of, uh, the start of 2018 to tempt a top, top name for 2019. The, I mean, Marquez has the kind of Red Bull connection. That could be an interesting, uh, uh, an interesting prospect for him if he wins this year and possibly next year. He's all, he will have won five world titles with Honda. I mean, you know what left? What does he have left to prove? Especially Vinales. if he writes a book about maybe he needs to try it. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Maverick Vinales has won his world championship in the KTM. He has, uh, you know, he he's worked with Pit Byrne before in the past. You know, let's say next year things don't work out with Yamaha and he gets really sick of being Rossi's teammate and being the number two in a team. You know, there's there's another guy that could be a name. You've got guys like Pedroza, Davizioso. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I think, you know, they'll they'll have several top riders asking them if uh, if there's space available in their squad too. Interesting. So that was, that was kind of where I was going to go to next. Is Has KTM put together enough of a package have they shown in the results enough that they could woo a top rider because it, it kind of goes both ways right like how many people are going to take take a gamble on this new this new company this new entry mm. uh especially when we've kind of seen like jumps to ducati kind of murky the waters because it hasn't worked out for for that many riders mm. um you know who's 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 the person that's going to roll the dice and be like yeah okay let's 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 take it a go because it's not like that's a proven package. It's not like you're hopping on the Honda or the the Yamaha or even the Ducati now where it's like, okay, this is a bike that has shown that is capable of winning races. All we've seen is that this is a bike that's capable of being in the top 10 and scoring points on a regular basis. And who's who's that guy in your mind that's making that jump and that, that leap of faith? Yeah, you put me on the spot here. I know. Nothing, yeah. Well, you did that to me with the statistics, so this is only fair play. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mark, maybe... Danny? No, you're out of your mind. No, I mean, you're no, out of your mind. I could, can I really see Pedrosa staying with Repsol Honda beyond 2018? I don't know. I see sure. him retiring there, though. That's the thing, right? Well, possibly. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Will you want to continue after 2018? That's, that's a good point. I, I honestly think that you look at that, you've got. Um, you've got an ambitious company, you've got a well resourced company, you've got a company that knows how to do things in terms of making sure people are happy, making sure people feel respected and, um, you know, making sure that people feel valued. I don't really look at that project and see too many uh, pitfalls other than the fact that it's a lack of experience. There's a kind of, there's a kind of romanticism about it as well. You know, this kind of new factory coming up against the odds. Okay. They've, you know, it's got a massive backer in Red Bull, but um, yeah, 
or do they bring a talent from Moto2 up? Well, yeah, you've got two very talented riders, Moto2. They've got Miguel Oliveira, Brad Binder. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you have to imagine that KTM will probably have four bikes in the grid in 2019. So could okay. they have? Could they even have a junior team in place for 2019? Um, guys like Binder, Oliveira, you know, have kind of shown this year Moto2 that they'll probably be fighting for the title next year. So, um, yeah. So yeah, there's there's also a possibility that there could be a, there could be a rookie there. Um, going off this year's performances, I'd be surprised if they didn't want to keep Paul Espargaro. Um, but you know, again, we're we're getting very far down the line here. Um, yeah, well, I guess still... it's it's been so interesting to watch um, different teams and different manufacturers. I guess it's really at the behest of the manufacturers of bringing in promising young talent and getting them into MotoGP as quickly as possible to learn the paddock. You know, looking at the Jack Millers, looking at the Folgers, looking at the Zarcos, and saying like, okay. We're going to put some investment into you. That's going to take a couple of years to, to train you up, but you're our guy in a year or two. Yeah, sure. And so what was the question again? I didn't have a question. I was just trying to sound <laughs> smart. <laughs> and, you, and you succeeded. <laughs> All right, sir. Yeah, let's, uh, let's take a break and we'll come back and do our winners and losers. Hey guys, Jensen here. Just a quick message to make sure you're following the show on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash paddockpasspodcast. All right, now back to the show. All right, Neil, we are back. I want to talk some winners and losers with you, sir, and see who you pick from the Aragon GP as the, the man of the day. Who is okay. who is your pick? Lay well, you it know, on me. Well, if you say man of the day, I mean, I don't know. Um, I guess there are some very obvious choices, you know, like, I mean, Marquez obviously took a, a big step to the title. Lorenzo was great. Probably his best performance for Ducati to date. Rossi, I mean, you know, well, I was going to go for Mika Calio because his performance across the whole weekend was really impressive. But you know what? Looking past Valentino Rossi would be, would be a great injustice uh, for everything that he did. For getting back onto a bike, MotoGP bike, 22 days after his injury, um, you know, to qualify in the front row, to finish just over half a second back of his teammate, it was seriously impressive, even for even for a man who <clears throat> has defied expectations on so many occasions before in the past. Um, and it was, you know, a timely reminder that uh, that the boy still heals. Uh, he still has a bit of uh, inner strength about him and you know he wants it I mean if anything it just shows you how much he still wants it um, so all very remarkable feats for a man of 38 years of age as I'm sure you can relate JB you're on you're on thin ice this, this show sir you're, you're <laughs> lucky I can't find anyone else yeah <laughs> yeah if my mic suddenly goes quiet for the rest of the show you'll know what's happened <laughs> dear listener um, yes yeah, so Rossi my man of the weekend at Aragon what about you JB who is your winner no, I think that's a solid pick. Uh, it's a predictably safe uh, response from you, as, as I've well, come you to Well, you know expect. me. <laughs> yeah. Whereas I, I only had one name, and I'm wondering if you can, you can see it on here. Oh, okay, right. So I wrote this down, and excuse my cursing, Mika fucking Calio. <laughs> uh, three exclamation points to that. I incredibly impressive ride. Incredibly impressive ride. When you talk about, you know, test riders coming in wild cards we never really expect um that much from them 
Uh, the only time I can ever recall being equally impressed was um, Yamaha's Tetsuya uh, Nagasuga. Nagasuga, yeah. Um, well, that was that Valencia, I believe, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Incredibly impressive ride there. Um, I think some of the, some other riders kind of helped him with that result, but Mika did it on his own at uh, at Aragon and finished ahead of you know Bradley and is and is making a really good case for why he should have a full time seat at that job. And he's making an audition on the world stage, and that's impressive. Uh, it's absolutely impressive. I think there was a lot of really impressive rides to come out of Aragon, but Mika was the one for me that that genuinely surprised me. That gave me something that. I wasn't expecting to see. So that, that's got to be the standout for me. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a really good shot. And, you know, it, it wasn't just the race. It was an FP3 in the dry. He was fifth. I mean, to see a KTM in the top five in a dry session around this track like Aragon is is really remarkable. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he, by his own admission, he screwed up qualifying. He crashed when he probably had a shot of qualifying in the top 10. Um, but, yeah, it was it was a really, really strong showing for Mika. And, um yeah, basically, he knew he was riding for a job. He, you know, just uh, he threw caution to the wind and went for it, and you know, it has to be admired. Yeah, yeah, I think that's where the that's where the big gains are made, and that's, I think that's the same that goes for for Rossi. I think that's you know, I give you a hard time about it, but I think it's a solid pick because, you know, we we are attracted to these stories of greatness. That's what makes motorcycle racing so fantastic to watch and why it's you know a sport that's enjoyed around the world because it is such a spectacle of of achievement and for i you know i'll always remember lorenzo and his collarbones and i think rossi's leg at aragon is another one of those kind of moments where like we're going to talk about that for for years to come where that was a point in time that showed the dedication of the rider because no one would have faulted him for for packing it in. No one would have faulted him for waiting until Motegi to go ride or anyone to say like, oh yeah, I'm just going to go circulate. I'm 38 years old and I'm, you know, just going to kind of phone it in in the sunset of my career and just collect my paycheck and do all yeah. those things. And that's, that wasn't the case. Yeah, and yeah. he showed that he's still that that rider. He's still that guy that's willing to take it to 10 tenths and beyond. So that's immensely impressive. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, you look at, at the Friday, we mentioned that it was wet. Uh, weather was rubbish. I mean, that could have just been Rossi's cue to sit in the garage all day, chill, recover some strength. But now he was out there risking it, um, you know, putting in as many laps as he could. Um and yeah, it was it was that kind of ability to just like put danger out of uh, out of his means of thinking. I mean, he's been doing it his whole life, so it's probably not as big a deal for him as it seems for us. But you know, it's it's still uh, it's still quite a staggering achievement. So yeah, I think um, I think we can both pat ourselves on the back, JB, and say we chose well for yeah, the win well, this well week's chosen. winners. Well chosen, yeah. nice one, well Rob. chosen. Yeah, yeah, well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> High five. <All> right, <laughs> chest, <laughs> chest pump. Chest pump. <laughs> Easy now. Don't get me excited. Uh, talk to me about your losers. Who who just screwed the pooch at Aragon for you? <laughs> um, well, I mean, you could you could quite feasibly say Bradley Smith. You know, it was a it was a difficult weekend for Brad. Um, you can tell he's just getting really sick of having to ask having to answer the same questions that he's you know been asked the last what three or four races. Are you going to be here next year, Brad? <laughs> What does it feel like about, you know, what does it feel like having Mika Kalio come in, you know, yada, yada, yada. It was a, it was a bad weekend for Brad, but 
I'm going to say Maverick Vinales is, is my biggest loser of the weekend because I think this is probably the definitive, well, maybe I'm overstating it, but I think fourth place at Aragon is a bad result for him. I think it showcased feelings that we have seen several times in races before this uh, this season where Maverick still just hasn't got that sort of lightning ability to get off the line and get right down to his optimum pace straight away. It takes him five laps to sort of get that rhythm, to, to find that sweet spot, to, to get the fuel down and to, to feel really comfortable. And, you know, I think he went with the same tire choice as Rossi and Rossi was, you know, lighting it up at the front, you know, really fast, mixing it with Lorenzo at that, uh, you know, for for leading the race. So I think Aragon was a race that Maverick had in his calendar as one where he would challenge Mark, where he would probably maybe take some points off him. Um, and to come away losing 12 points to him at such a crucial stage of the championship is, I think, quite bad. Yeah, no, I think what, you're right. I think that's the death blow, right? Possibly. Yeah, 28 points is a big ask. Big, big ask. So yeah, that could be good night, sweetheart. Yeah, what about yourself, sir? Yeah, no, I had I had Bradley Smith down as one of my as my early thoughts as well. I think you have to, right? You know, if if Mika Kalio is going to be my winner, Bradley Smith has to be the the counterpoint loser on that. Uh, that just kind of goes without saying. But you know, truthfully, I don't want to call him my my loser for the Aragon GP. He's kind of like my loser for the 2017 <laughs> MotoGP Championship. No, I mean, but it's fair though, right? You know, I love Bradley. Don't get me wrong, and I want to see him succeed. And you know, I thought him going to KTM was a great opportunity, a great move. But you're seeing what Paul Espargaro has been able to, to translate out of that. And and you look at what he's been able to do, and you're just like, man, night and day. But, you know, truth be told, I got to give the mark to, to my boy, Andrea Davizioso, as much as it hurts to say. Um, Davi had one goal at this race, and it was damage you know, limitation, damage control to, to what was surely going to be a good race for, for Mark. Um, and to have uh, such a swing in the points coming out of it and kind of uh, seeing what Lorenzo was able to make out of that weekend kind of shows like, you know, this is what could have been, you know, we could, I still think Mark was going to come out of Aragon, the, the championship leader, but I think Davi could have been right on his heels where, you know, whoever finishes ahead of the other in the next race is leading the championship again. And, now I think climbing back from from what is it a sixteen point gap over four races is is a really tough ask. You're going to have to count on um, Marquez getting some thirds and some fourths and some fifths, whereas before it would have been just you know finishing ahead of him would have been would have been fine. And uh, I hate to think that this is going to be looked at the turning point where he lost a championship and, and lost Ducati, a, a very important MotoGP championship that they've been working hard to do. And I think that in a way is unfair because I don't think that was the expectation that was put on him at the start of the season, but it's kind of the one that he created himself with his success. So, you know, maybe it's a good problem to have, but mm, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to be, a, it was tough being a Davi fan on, on <laughs> Sunday watching that race, man. I'll tell you, especially yeah. at the end when he's just starting to fall back in and, and truth be told, I don't know what he does different other than yeah. maybe pick different tires. And I don't even know if that was really going to be changing the price of bread in terms of what the results were. Maybe he picks a harder compound and he finishes, he finishes even further back because of it. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's tough. It's tough. That's the way the cookie crumbles. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. It was a, I, I agree with you. It was a, it was a, a bad race for the Vizios already, you know, at, uh, at such a critical point of the season. Um, it's just, it's just occurred to me that we haven't really praised Alisa Spargrow, um, for his performance at Aragon, sixth place. Truth. Yeah. 6.9 seconds off Mark Marquez, uh, I think equaling, uh, Aprilia's best finish in MotoGP in the four stroke era. And, I make it the closest Aprilia has finished to the race win ever in the Premier class. So that was a really, really strong ride. Another uh, contender that we, we, we passed over for a uh, ride of the day for winner of the weekend. No, I think your your statistical mind brings up some really good points. And when you look at where that, where was that team last season? And where are they now? And yeah, they <laughs> I mean, they had an absolutely brand new bike at the start of last season. Um, they were late. They missed, I think, one of the preseason tests at Phillip Island. In fact, they were running the 2015 sort of evolution bike at the, the first test. They missed the second test. So it was re- they were really behind schedule. But by the end of last year, that, that was a, quite a good bike. And Alvaro Bautista was regularly qualifying in Q2. And I think they had a few top 10s. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was it was a... It was on the right path, let's say. You know, it was definitely showing that they were going in the right direction. Um, and and this year, it, it's it's a good bike, man. But it's just uh, they've reliability, you know, and uh, pretty. It does seem like quite a dysfunctional place to be sometimes. Um, I mean, you know, it's 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 kind of well intentioned, and there's there's definitely the know how, but you know how they do matter i mean look at how the whole sam lowe's thing has has unfolded i mean that was a real it was just kind of quite strange how they handled it you know um yeah so i think it's i think it's quite a dysfunctional factory at the best of times but there's potential there they've got a good rider in espargaro um and it, it's been interesting to hear him say over the pre- previous um month or the past month that Aprilia basically next year is the most important year in the factory's history because they are they've never been as close to Honda to Yamaha and Ducati. Yeah. And and it's it's almost like he's he's trying to rally the troops. He's saying, guys, we're gonna make this next step because we're so close. Please keep you know, keep the interest there. Make sure that this doesn't dissipate. Make sure that you're still giving everything going into the into the winter break, you know, because he can feel that you know, that could be a regular top six bike next year, maybe even better. They definitely need to keep it on the boil and keep pushing forward from that same vein that we were talking about with KTM. And how do you, how do you take that next step? How do you start grabbing a tier one rider? How do you start proving to the paddock that you have a package that, that isn't going to waste the very few and precious years you have in your motorcycle racing career? And I don't think Aprilia has quite made that turn yet, but next no. year they really could. They really, really could if they keep on the trajectory that they're on. And um, we'll see how it shakes out for 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 2018. But I think that's a fair shout for for Aleish. Mm. Um, as a rider, he continuously impresses me. Maybe one of the most underrated riders in the paddock, in my opinion, just in terms of uh, just all the horrible bikes he's had to go ride and the <laughs> better than better than good results that he's been able to make out of them. Uh, it's quite impressive to me. You and I both, sir. Good. I'm glad we're on agreement. We can end on a positive note. <laughs> For once. For once. Um, you're obviously not heading out to Motegi, but will we see you at any of the flyaway races or are you going to yes, keep your base of operations in Spain? No, I shall be I shall be going to Australia, flying there on Sunday, um, just after the race in Motegi's finished, and then I'll be up in Malaysia after that. So, uh, yeah, busy couple of weeks ahead. 
but you know, two two fun weeks, two two good two good tracks, two good runs to be at. And um, you know, as we kind of said earlier, let's hope that there's still something left to play for in uh, in Valencia. Yeah, I hope it comes down to the wire that the fans deserve from this season, um, and it means if we get to Valencia and we don't have a clear uh, championship winner, that means we've had some really good races at Mategi, Phillip Island, and Sepang. So I like that. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's not as if there's a historical precedent, a recent historical precedent for things going a bit awry in those rounds, you know. So uh, let's hope can't think some of anything bad ever happening in any of those rounds. <laughs> no, that's the great part. They they're they're great venues for 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 things happening. So I think I think for fans, it's going to be good for that. It's been a good time talking to you, Neil. Uh, where can people find you if they want to know more about your GP musings? Twitter.com forward slash Neil Morrison eighty seven. Um, yeah, and I guess crashed on that. Is a, is a good place to, to kind of see a lot of the, the latest MotoGP news and features. And if you want to follow myself, I'm at asphaltandrubber.com. I also host the Two Enthusiasts podcast. Well worth downloading, I must add. Well worth. We we have a lot of puns. I'm just going to front load that. It's a different <laughs> It's a different show. Uh, but we have a good time on it, my, my, myself and uh, my co-host, Quentin Wilson. Of course, you can follow the Paddock Pass podcast on Twitter, at Paddock Pass Pod. We're on the Facebooks. We're even on Instagram, Neil. Do you know that? Are you following us on Instagram, Neil? You know what, JB? That is news to me. Yeah, it's on there. I will say, if our listeners happen to listen to us on a Apple device, it would be greatly appreciated by myself, Neil, David, and Steve, and all the other Paddock Pass podcast contributors. If you would get on there and leave the show uh, a review, leave us a comment. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know what you want to hear. That's our feedback loop. Like any good race team, we have to have a feedback loop, and that's ours. Share it with a friend, and we will be back right after the Motegi round with more MotoGP goodness. So until then, Neil, I bid adieu. Farewell, JB. Thank you very much. Good talk, sir. See you out there. He's professional. He is a professional. Yeah, I mean, those all sound like fairly hardy ideas to me. Okay. Yeah, pretty good. All right, spot on, Bevan. Absolutely, spot on. <laughs>